Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Recap. I'm your host, Raymond Wilkerson, and thank you for joining me. Oh, boy. Last week was a slate of very somber games, to put it lightly. And it seems that many of my apprehensions from a couple of weeks ago have started to come into fruition. A lot of these teams are starting to look very lethargic out there. Some very uninspired gameplay and just out of sorts. And I think a lot of that has to do with the upcoming midseason break. But um, all is not lost because uh, Sunday did have a nice collection of games. And Friday was one of the highlights of the season with the retirement celebration of Lauren Jackson. I will talk about that later on. But first, let's talk about the Connecticut Sun. Now, if you listen to this podcast or read my blog, I've been talking about the Suns for the past couple of weeks now. It's time that people start taking this team seriously. The way that they are gelling and growing is almost scary. And I think it may be too fast, if I'm being quite honest. But a credit has to go out to Kurt Miller. They really bought into his plan of just tossing out wins this season and just building a culture. A culture of synergy that is built around each other. In fact, I ran some numbers looking at the first five games compared to the last five games. And across the board, just a nice jump in every key category. Field goal percentage went from 38 to 42.5%. Three-point percentage went up from 25 to 27.3%. Free throws, 68% to 77%. Rebounds went from 33 to 31. They cut down their fouls from 26 to 20. Steals, assists, etc. The list goes on. The bottom line is this team is playing better. Now, yes, I get it. A small sample size theater, and of course, teams should naturally produce better stats over the course of a season. However, what you need to keep in mind is rookies and sophomore players who haven't played together before. So to bring all these people together and get them to this point within two to three months is definitely a huge achievement. They have nothing to lose. They're playing with confidence, and it definitely shows on the court. Alex Bentley. Still somewhat of a streaky shooter, but she is still getting the job done aside from that. Camille Little comes up in the rear, providing a seasoned perspective to this team and the rookies. Morgan Tuck, one of the UConn Big Three, getting the job done. But moreover, John Quill Jones is probably one of the biggest rising stars on this team. Another rookie who has worked herself into the starting five and is definitely proven to be a nice, solid contributor to this team. Oh, and let's not forget Chene Ogumike, who is essentially channeling the spirit of her sister and has put it up some nice points. With a few assists and rebounds there, the parts are starting to come together for this team. Now, initially, I said that they could make the playoffs, but now that I've thought about it a little bit more, trying to make a playoff run this year would be really counterproductive to what they're trying to achieve this year. If anything, it could give them a false illusion of being this really super good team. And they aren't there yet. They aren't as good as Minnesota or L.A. They still have things they need to work on. Free throws, for example. They're still shooting less than 8% from the line. In fact, they could have won that game versus L.A. earlier this week had they made their free throws. More specifically, the last quarter, only five seconds left. Thomas is at the line and she only makes one of two tying the game before it went into overtime but had she made that second shot and have a one-point lead all they need to do 
it stopped Minnesota for five seconds to win that game. And they still have a problem with turnovers. So this team still has things they need to work on still. They're not a great team yet, but they are well on the way to becoming a great team. On to the next topic, the Seattle Storm. So as per usual, I attended a few more Seattle Storm games. The first one was the Friday night game versus the Washington Mystics, which also happened to be the retirement celebration for Lauren Jackson. I'll talk about the Mystics game later, but first I want to talk about the retirement ceremony that followed the game. Look, like I said, I just started watching WNBA this year, and aside from YouTube clips, I've never seen Lauren Jackson play. So I'm not going to front and pretend like I can tell you everything about her. There are much better pieces out there. You can find many of those pieces in my blog post for the week and on my Twitter as well. So check those out. She is definitely someone that you need to know um, and recognize uh, for all of her contributions to the game and just how dominant she was. The key thing that stuck out to me was the part of the ceremony when Sue Bird was speaking. And towards the end, Sue spoke about how lucky she is that her body is held out for this long. And on the side note, the way that she's playing now, if she can stay healthy, I'm pretty sure she has a few more years in her because right now she's well on the way to having a record year. But anyway, back to her speech. She told LJ that it didn't end the way she wanted, meaning that all the injuries that started to rack up that forced her to retire. She prefaced the next statement by saying, don't read too much into this, but this also feels like a retirement for me as well. I found that very, very interesting how she worded that because she knew that people would probably take that and run with it. I don't think she'll retire next year. I mean, she is having a record year. I mean, she's well on the way to having a record year. And again, if she stays healthy, I could see her doing this for another couple of years. Uh, they would just have to come back her time, but whatever. That's a topic for another time. But she did say this feels like a retirement for her as well. But I do think that was a subtle hint of maybe keeping the door open because who knows how long that party's gonna last. I mean, aside from that, it was cool to be there. There were a lot of nice tributes and things said about her. And it, it was just nice to be part of that moment, even though I was essentially an outsider. Even I got choked up a little bit as well because it was a touchy moment. Very cool. And uh, I'm sure she's going to do some great things going forward. But let's talk about this Mystics game. A lot of people would tell you that this was probably Seattle's best game of the season because they controlled the game from start to finish. There was not a single point in the game where Washington had a remote chance of beating the Storm. Now, I do think a lot of that has to do with LJ being there. That pumped up the crowd and team, but whatever. The bottom line is the Washington Mystics practically rolled over well into the third quarter and just, just gave up completely. So much so that the Mystics just did not have an answer for anything. Even Emma Mieseman was kept to a stop. Speaking of Emma Mieseman, I gotta admit, I felt a little betrayed. Now, I am still the founder, the president, and car-carrying member of the Emma Meesman fan club, even to this day. But I gotta say, I felt a little hurt watching her play. More specifically, there was one instance in the third quarter where she drives to the lane for a shot, and she was clearly fouled. There was no way around it. But the refs did not call it. Seattle gets the ball, goes back, scores two. But in that moment when she was fouled and she didn't hear the whistle, it seemed like all the life and energy and commitment and focus just drained out of her in one second. And she just goes limp, looks over to the bench, right at Coach T. He's flipping out. And oh, I just, I just felt so crushed. For one, I just felt really bad for her just to see her have such a rough night. 
I just wanted to reach out and just pat on the shoulder and say, ah, oh, don't give up, kid. And two, I just never thought I would see the day that she would just give up. Uh, it just it truly felt like a stab in the heart. Well, no, not a stab, but more like a paper cut on my heart because I really think that she is that great. In a lot of ways, she reminds me of Tim Duncan, just a very good post player who can shoot, who is just concerned about the fundamentals of basketball and doing the best job she can. In fact, I almost want to name her Miss Fundamental because that is the type of player that she is. She is all about the fundamental aspects of the game. Other than that, it, it, there's just nothing else worth mentioning about this game. It was just uh, one of the biggest blowouts I've seen this season. Um, oh yeah, Ivory Lada, she's pretty short. Everyone on that team is like a good foot taller than her. She's looks like she's five foot three. I know she's not that short, but compared to everyone else on the team, did not anticipate that. But the real game of the week for me was a Seattle Storm versus the Chicago Sky. That was honestly the best basketball game I've seen Seattle play all season. Well, as someone put it, the best second half of basketball, but whatever. It was just a great game. And the grit and metal that Seattle showed was really impressive. Now, usually in the first half, the Storm are a fairly strong team. They look like they're clicking on all cylinders, they have it under control, and then it just falls apart in a second. The first half of this game was really flat, just out of sync. I mean, even Key Arena was fairly quiet for the first half of the game. It just did not go well at all for the Storm. And Chicago just, just killed them from the perimeter. Slooty, Cheyenne Parker, Elena Deladon were just having a field day from the arc and just had a field day with the high-low. Uh, speaking of which, Chicago is just a team of length. That team is just all limbs and speed. You have Deladon, Amani Boyette, Faulkner, just these really tall, lanky players who are just really long arms and legs and just can really get all over the place. And then you have players like Vandersloot, who is just squirrely, knows how to get to a spot to take shots. It was just a nice combination that the Storm did not have an answer for in the first half. But all of that changed in the second half. The Storm were able to rally back. I mean, they went into the half trailing by 24-25, and they were able to tie the game late into the fourth. And a lot of that has to do with the generational talent of Brianna Stewart. She, I mean, Seattle just needs to thank her lucky stars. She is just a basketball goddess, and they are lucky to have her. But there was also Sue Bird, Jewel Lloyd, and even Kalina was getting in the mix, hit some key three-pointers to bring the storm back. Oddly, Langhorn was pretty quiet, did not score this game. But anyway, it was a nice, consistent effort by the Storm, and this was the best I've seen them play. Very unified, they cut down on the turnovers, but that all changed because Elena Deladon happened. Well, actually, Elena Deladon happened the whole game. She essentially just put on a full-on clinic showing everyone why she's the reigning MVP. Just dropping shots from anywhere on the court, had no trouble crossing up defenders going to the basket. That's all that needs to be said. She's good. She's clutch. But then it all came down to that one play in the fourth quarter. And I'm pretty sure you've all seen it fine, but I'm going to talk about it again because I cannot stop thinking about this play. It's fourth quarter, tied up at 88, only seconds left on the clock. Elena Deladon versus Brianna Stewart, future superstar versus reigning MVP. Now, here's the thing with Deladon. Anytime she goes ISO with someone, she has a way of dribbling that will lull you to sleep. Where you don't know if she's going to cross you up, 
if she's gonna dump it off to someone or if she's just gonna fake and just create space for a shot. You just never know based on how she dribbles the ball. But in this case, she locks eyes with Brianna Stewart, starts to dribble the ball, crosses over left, crosses over right as though she's about to drive past Brianna Stewart. Brianna Stewart bites on that play and goes over to her right, creating just enough space for Elena Deladon to just get off a shot and just drains it. But that's not it. After Deladon releases the shot, she runs right past Stewart, going in for the potential tip-in should the ball have missed. And that is the temperament of champions. That kind of focus and dedication to stick with it until the job is done. Luckily, the ball went in so she didn't have to do it. But, oh man, imagine if that ball missed and she goes in for the tip in and makes it. Oh, it would have made that play that much sweeter. But just clutch. Ice in her veins, indeed. And kudos to Stewie, man. There was nothing she could have done. I mean, even if you threw two defenders on Deladon, she could have easily just dumped it off to uh, Slutie, who was equally just as good as shooting from the arc. But the bottom line is, it was just it was just a great play. Both of those players did a great job, and I was just happy to see it and be there when it happened. But man, Deladon is just a treat to watch. I am so happy I got to see her play. Just the way that she finds her shots. It's so efficient and clean. The way that she's able to use space, not only on offense, but defensively as well, because she was able to get a few key blocks in. Just a well-played game by the Storm. You know, kudos to both of these teams. It was a really great game, and I was so happy to be there. Other than that, the Seattle Storm played the San Antonio Stars today. I will not be going to that game. Instead, I will be going to the Seattle Mariners game, where they will play my hometown Chicago White Sox. I'm hoping that we could take this series. Uh, I did a nice job of that last night with a 6-1 win. Was not too happy with the Monday night game with that rally back. Uh, so hopefully they can close it out. And from the looks of it, it is going to be a lovely day outside. So sadly, I won't be at that game. But one, it's the San Antonio Stars without Kayla McBride. I am more than confident that the Storm will be able to beat them. Hell, I'm pretty sure they could sit Brianna Stewart and that team would still win. So honestly, I do not feel like I'm going to be missing much in that game. Alright, let's move on to some notes. LA Sparks take another one on the chin as they lose the Atlanta Dream without Sancho Little. I was so confident that the Sparks would win this game simply due to the fact that the Dream did not have Sancho Little. She is out for the remainder of the season with a foot injury that she received during the game with the fever that Friday, which is a tough break because definitely one of the better players on the team and they definitely need her well at least i thought they would but uh they were able to handle the sparks i wouldn't say fairly comfortably but just enough because this sparks team has been looking very ragged this entire week i'll talk about more of them i'll talk about them more later but um atlanta dream without sancho little definitely a huge blow for them hopefully she'll get well soon um but she will not be playing for the remainder of this season. And she's also not playing for Spain too, which definitely hurts the chances in the real games. Next up, Deanna Taurasi suspended. Yes, it has finally happened. So during the game versus the Mystics, she picked up a seventh technical, which earned her a one-game suspension without pay. Luckily, that game happened to be against the San Antonio Stars, which they were able to win very handedly. They signed Marta Zarge as a backup. And part of me was curious that maybe they'd find some spark from last year with not having Tarasi in a mix. 
But no, still the same off-kilter, weird team that we've come to see all season where we don't know what's going on with them, but they just aren't winning games. But like I said, I mean, it's against the San Antonio Stars, so they were able to win that game comfortably, which wasn't a big deal in the first place. Oh man, this team definitely needs Penny Taylor back in a big way. In the meantime, I think out for redemption is going to have to wait till next year. And next item, we have Olympic departures. A lot of players are leaving their teams to go back to their home countries in preparation for the real games. Most notable departures so far has been Romu Tukashki, uh, Sonia Petrovic, uh, she left actually a week earlier, and Erica DeSouza and Clarissa DeSantos and Sancho Little, but she won't be playing and that's really going to hurt Spain, but we talked about that before. Anyway, go Team USA! And finally, the WMLBA. Women's Minor League Basketball Association. So I came across an interview with Janelle Burse, who happened to be a former player, and she is involved in starting up a new minor league for women's basketball, which is awesome. Definitely something that is long overdue and could be a big benefit to the league. Now, it wasn't clear from the interview of the website if this would be a feeder system for the WNBA as a whole, but the impression that I get is that it'll work similar to the minor leagues for hockey, where you have a minor leagues, but it's not associated with the NHL directly. But there are a ton of recruiters and scouts who farm the minor leagues, and they make signings on a regular basis. But the cool thing is, I mean, this is yet another avenue that provides women a chance playing basketball, doing something they love, and that should definitely be celebrated and communicated. Hopefully it grows. Uh, right now it seems to be very uh, region-locked to the south. There are only five teams in San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, D.C., and Nashville. It'll kick off later this year in 2016, surprisingly. So, yeah, hopefully more teams will get involved because this definitely sounds like a great idea. Creating more connections for women playing basketball professionally. And that is just definitely awesome. And that's pretty much it for this week. I mean, like I said, it was a very somber week in terms of games. Um, had a few highlights here and there, but for the most part, it was just kind of eh. Anyway, let's hop into the power rankings. Number one, the LA Sparks. The Sparks seem to be in cruise control right now, heading into the midseason break. And this actually kind of works out for Candace Parker and Eka Gumake, who didn't make the U.S. Olympic team. They get to rest and come back for the second half of the season charged up and ready to go. I know it sucks and it's a huge disservice to Candace Parker not being part of the team, which to this day still makes no sense. Hopefully they could just take that anger, build on it, uh, regroup, because they have been looking sloppy uh, this past week. And hopefully the Olympics will just fuel them even more just to come back to the second half of the season with a vengeance and continue the revenge tour. Number two, the Minnesota Lynx. Similar to LA, this team seems to be in cruise control, but unlike LA, they aren't playing sloppy. LA has seemed to break down. They've committed some nasty turnovers, unforced turnovers for that matter, but the Lynx are fairly consistent. They're just not as... They're not as up-tempo as I'm used to seeing from this team, or at least from the start of the season. That's totally understandable. Coach Reeve and those starter four... They basically have one foot out the door. They got a couple of tough games this week, but for the most part, I think this team is going to be fine. Uh, I worry, though, about the Olympics 
the kind of toll that's going to put on their bodies and with the threat of Zika, which still scares the F out of me. I, I still like the Lynx. This team is definitely going to be pretty strong coming back regardless of what happens in Rio. Number three, the New York Liberty. I told you, Rebecca Allen is going to be a star and she is putting in some good work and she is definitely making a name for herself on this team. And the way she stretches the floor, beautiful. This is definitely the type of player Bill and Bear is looking for. Someone who's not afraid to get physical because she's been bloodied up, got a busted lip, a bloody nose, but she keeps coming back. She's like a Timex watch. She takes a licking and she keeps on ticking. I love what I'm seeing out of this kid. Definitely someone to watch out for. Also, Zowie B. She has been hustling her butt off lately. Definitely making a push for potentially that sixth woman of the year award, I think. I'm just saying, it's not totally crazy. Aside from that, Tina Charles is still Tina Charles. Probably the number one candidate MVP. Aside from that, this team is still very fun, definitely gritty, and one of my favorite teams to watch. Number four, the Atlanta Dream. Okay, I have finally learned to accept the Atlanta Dream. And I'll admit it, watching them lately has been fun. Yes, I said it, fun. Laser Claridon, yes, I said Laser. That's her nickname because she's a sharpshooter. She's been stepping up, especially in the absence of Sancho Little. And shout out to the rookie, the microwave, Megan Simmons, Elizabeth Williams, and Tiffany Hayes. All right, I'll admit it. I like the Atlanta Dream now. I like what I'm seeing out of that team. They're playing with a lot more hustle, and it's impressive. And that's all I really want. I like teams to try, and that's what I'm getting out of this Atlanta team lately. Number five, the Chicago Sky. All right, do I really need to talk about Elena Deladon again? Look, I posted an article in my blog that breaks down everything Elena Deladon does, showing why she is an MVP caliber player. But for right now, the rest of the Chicago team, if they could just learn how to handle those crunch time situations, they would be all right. Other than that, I, I really enjoy the Chicago team. In fact, I would say not having the Sosa the mix has actually helped this team some because Amani Boyette is just a blocking monster. She's getting about three to four blocks per game. Not to mention, she's almost putting up double points right now. And Courtney Vandersloot knows how to find her spots and does her job. Outside of that, Chicago just needs to fix these fourth quarter breakdowns because it just cannot always fall on the shoulders of Deladon. Number six, the Dallas Wings. On the plus side, Planet Pearson is back. On the downside, Glory Johnson is still out dealing with a toe injury. I really do not like this game of musical chairs of injuries that the Wings are dealing with. She is a huge contributing factor to this team winning. And I miss seeing her play. Just how she controls the space down low, is able to get shots, uh, very great defensively. I just miss watching her play. But it's not all bad news. I mean, Courtney Paris is still doing her thing. She's still a top five rebounder in the league. And Skylar Diggins has been somewhat in a slump lately, but she appears to be on the bounce back last game. She got 18 points. So she's definitely finding a hot streak again. And Ariel Powers, do I need to keep talking about this kid? She is another person that I would consider for six women of the year. So yeah, Ariel Powers, keep doing your thing, kid. But man, this team needs Glory Johnson back. Please come back soon. Thankfully, they have this midseason break coming up. Gives everybody time to recoup. Once they all get on the same page, get going, they could be deadly. Number seven, the Indiana Fever. 
This team is still my irrational what the F team. I don't know if they're good. I cannot put my finger on it, but something is not right. Lately, they've been on a bit of a win streak, but I'm still not buying it. As much as I respect catchings, and as much as I love watching Elena Larkins play, I, I'm just not buying the Indiana Fever. They are just too hit and miss, and they just aren't consistent. And that is one of my big pet peeves. I like consistency. Number eight, the Phoenix Mercury. Look, at this point, I'm just repeating myself. I don't know what the hell is going on in Phoenix. It's not working. I still predict them making a playoff, surprisingly. But I don't have hope for this team because all it's going to take is one bad call to send Tarasi over the edge. And when you're dealing with the playoffs and this year's format, which is just one and done for round one and round two, if Tarasi flies off the handle in game one and they somehow win, she won't be around for game two and they're definitely going to face a much tougher opponent in round two and they're most likely going to be out. I'm not saying that they won't do it and they shouldn't try to make the playoffs. I'm against the idea of tanking, but it's just something they're going to need to keep in check if they do make it to the eighth spot. Number nine, the Washington Mystics. Yes, I finally did it. I have removed Washington from that top tier of teams because this team has been breaking my heart over and over and over again. They've lost their last five games. And as much as I love and respect Emma Mieseman, I just cannot do it. All the progress they've made at the start of the year, it seems like they have regressed. Now, to be fair, the last handful of games, four or five games, have been road games. And their upcoming games this week are home games. So there's a slight chance they could win. I doubt it, but there's a slight chance. Number 10, the Seattle Storm. Same thing as before. Solid starting five, but that bench is not worth discussing. They do not have the horses to make it to the playoffs this year, and they won't do it. And let me make this clear, because I've gotten a lot of complaints. Well, not complaints. I've heard of people imply that I don't hate the storm. I actually do like them. Let me repeat that and be explicitly clear. I like the storm team. I like this starting five. Outside of that though, they do not have the horses. This is something they're going to have to fix in the offseason and try again for next year. Number 11, the Connecticut Sun. Talked about this team earlier. Definitely on the right track. But right now, they just need to focus on their current goals right now. Building the culture, building up their synergy, and fixing the current flaws. Keep an eye on this team in the future because they will be a threat. And lastly, the San Antonio Stars. I, I, I can't bash this team anymore. They're wallowing in their own misery. And there's, there's pretty much nothing they can do. I mean... Mariah Jefferson, who's been stepping up and taking a leadership role. Outside of that, there's Derrick Hamby, has been playing pretty questionable lately, making some pretty questionable shot selections. Like in the game versus Phoenix, uh, she took a few shots versus Grider, which were not good shots at all. I mean, in fact, a few of them were completely blocked. So I'm not sure if she's just going through the motions or what's going on there, but San Antonio is just in a world of hurt, and they're not going to come back from this midseason break any better. All right, and that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening. Come back next week and I'll do a recap of the games leading into the midseason break. And I will also be doing podcasts during the Olympic break as well. So this is not going to stop. I'm committed to this 100%. Anyway, uh, this is going to be a short one this week. I need to get around to the Sox game. Until next week, be awesome to one another. Don't be a dick. All right? Be cool. Be cool.
Later.